So, sounds so boring. I even say middle manager, and I'm like, like you still have not sold me on this drama. Still like, haven't sold me. Even with the cast, you have never sold me on You've this drama. You've tried so hard, it's still not sold me. I'm trying to think of, like, how do you... It's not going to happen. I mean, yeah, well, you just... know when it came up, like, what drama will you never watch? Me saying. <laughs> really? I mean, it's in my top... You're so mean it's in my top. It's in my top three. I know, we're so mean. <laughs> Anyang SAO, welcome to Afternoon of Delight, where Leah, Megan, and Amy, romance novelists and your K Romance guides. So grab some deck bokey and listen to your new favorite unease. Hey, everybody. Hello. Hi there. The gang's all together again. It took, it, it took us forever to log on and start recording today because we needed to catch up. Like, we've not three been together for weeks. Woo-hoo! Yeah, we just, like, gabbed and gossiped about our personal lives. It was great. I needed it. <laughs> I, it made me very happy, so thank you. <laughs> Sorry to the rest of you for I not getting too. to hear it, but we, we needed it. It wasn't that exciting. No, it wasn't. So did anyone dress up for Halloween? I, I felt like a very uh, smart – I was going to say, I feel like a smart genius, so I guess I'm talking like Megan tonight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. So in my smart geniusness, I wanted a new pair of pajamas. So I bought a cute pair of like black, like, you know, button up in the front, cute matching set pajamas or cat ears. And I went as the cat's pajamas. I love it. Oh, that's it's very cute. Thank I like you. it a lot. I look like I'm trying to cosplay right now because I'm wearing my, my uh, goblin scarf. But that is because I'm also wearing two hoodies, which you can't tell. And I have a blanket on my lap because that's how cold it is in my room right now because it's like 30 degrees outside and Ugh. the heat does not like go to my bedroom. Like Halloween's a weird thing for me now because I don't have to take kids trick or treating anymore. Like my son is 14 and I dropped him off at his friend's house and they went and did their thing last night. And my daughter like worked <laughs> last night. She's like, I'm working. Aww. So she happened to be wearing a red sweater. She does not work at Target. Somebody asked me that today when I was telling them about her costume. She happened to be wearing a red sweater to school and she was going to keep it on for work. So she's, she went to like the party store and bought like a pair of like just, you know, headband with devil ears. And that was her costume. There you go. Red devil oh, ears. That's cute. But yeah, I don't, yeah, I didn't dress up. I, I answered the door wearing my sweatshirt that says I am Groot. That's um, cute. So that's it. But yeah, I don't – Halloween's not my favorite holiday. So I have to I have to kind of be dragged kicking and screaming to, to really dress really? up. And, and I, have a, I have a friend whose favorite holiday is Halloween, and so she has a party every year, and we always dress up. And last year we were um, Disney villains, and I was Cruella, and I loved that costume. I that was that. fun. Yeah, that was fun. But like this year, it just – it didn't really ha- – it didn't really pan out. I always have like grand intentions of doing something really cool – and then I just I run out of time, but my daughter and her friends went as Kiss Mary Kill, so it was three of them. Ooh. So I thought Ooh. this was a really cute idea. So the one was Kiss, so she wore all red, and she had like lipstick prints on her arms and stuff. And the other one okay. was Mary, and so she wore like all white with a with a veil. And then, of course, my daughter was killed. Like, of course, that was the one she chose. So she wore all black. And she wanted to write, like, kill on her arm, which I wasn't, like, thrilled about. But, like, mm-hmm. she also had, like, a knife headband, you know, like a knife going through yeah. it. Yeah. And I was like, okay. And I bought this fake blood. And we started writing with it. And it stained. 
<laughs> so like, it just says kill on her arm like, and blood now? Well, she washed it off like immediately. And because we were like, oh, because I put a little bit on her face. I'm like, why don't we do like dripping blood on your face? Then we realize it's stained. Oh my God. Don't buy cheap mm. fake blood from Amazon, clearly. Um, but it was just really funny because like in the romance writing world, we do like fuck, Mary kill with um, mm-hmm. characters all the time. That's like the PG th- version of yeah, it. Yeah. And then on this, this podcast, we do Mary might murder. So right. it was just kind of funny that she did that. It felt, I don't know. I kind of like giggled behind them the whole yeah, time. Yeah. It felt like she was part of the crew. Yeah. It was, it was really cute. So. That's fun. And it's original. I like it. Yeah, it was really neat, and it, well, there were three of them, so th- I thought that was n- very cute that they picked a costume that the three of them could do together, and so I just wandered around and uh, then stole all the Butterfingers, because I love Butterfingers. My son got yeah, no Yeah, I didn't realize you were a Butterfinger girly. I am. I love Butterfingers, and there were, there were no Butterfingers in Connor's bag. <gasps> But you want to know what else there was none of? There was no Almond Joy, which means the houses he went to loved children. <laughs> yeah. We, <laughs> I, See, I love Almond Joys. I, I know you do. Would you give I, them yeah, out, though? We, Would you give them out? We gave out peanut butter Snickers, which felt gross to me. I think that sounds mm. good. I don't like peanut butter or Snickers, really, so. You don't like peanut butter? <laughs> How do I not know this about you? I mean, My kids don't I like peanut like, butter, so I get to I get all the Reese's from oh, the Halloween Reese's. candy. I'm like neutral, neutral, like I don't know, like neutral soft. Like I I'm eat peanut butter every out. day, every single Ugh, day. No, some form of peanut not. butter. Yeah. I love it. Would you make yourself a peanut butter and jelly sandwich all the time? I I haven't, no. but I I would For, like I. I eat peanut butter you jelly for sandwiches. real. Just like make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich all the time. That is um like all the time. I have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Apples and, and we, peanut butter and is we my keep uncrustables I mean, I, at our house all the time. What? Yeah, uncrustables. Neil actually I've uses them when he like rides when he runs or he like ride he'll ride a bike. So we keep them in the freezer and then he'll put them like you know how like the. The bike yeah. shirts have like pa- pockets in the back, you know, that you like. He puts like, an uncrustable he's in like, there. So he'll put an uncrustable in there and they'll like fall on his skin. And so by the time he's like ready to eat so it. So he eats a perfect. sweaty uncrustable. Yeah, he eats a sweaty. <laughs> well, it's in a package. I yes. know. But yes, he eats a sweaty uncrustable. Maybe that's the secret to looking like you're 22. Oh, God. <laughs> Daddy age 36. I did not know this about you, that you were lukewarm on peanut butter. I just, oh, I don't know. very lukewarm on peanut butter. Oh, but I would like, like, peanut butter in, like, Thai cooking. Like, peanut butter sauces? See, yes. I don't like, like peanut, peanut butter, butter sauces. I don't. I, do. See, I love peanut butter. But not peanut butter. I would be, I mean, I can eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. So, you know, you also realize how American peanut butter, like, I don't think until I go out yeah. of the country, I realize, like, how much people are like, what the fuck is yeah. peanut butter I'm and jelly? I'm very American. Um, <laughs> But I, I feel like I, I almost... I think many times I just prefer to not, I would rather just not eat. <laughs> like if you were offering me a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, like I could get it down and be okay. Like, I don't Oh my gosh. I'd be like, thank like, you. Yes. Thank you. If you were like, have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich or continue, consider not eating lunch. I'd be like, I'm good. I'm just going to drink some water. <laughs> Sometimes I eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and it just, I think, why am I not eating this for every meal? It tastes that good. It hits the spot. I like every peanut time. butter. I like peanut butter and jelly toast too. You toast up the bread and then you spread on your stuff. It's, I would take it eat it open face. It's good stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, so I would prefer that to a sandwich. 
Fair enough. Like the we used to call it lady fingers, where you cut it into like rows and then eat it. My mom would make those in lady fingers, and I just like that. Didn't really like those either. My mom used to make me poached eggs, and I used to be like, "Bitch, poached eggs again!" And I'm like, "I wish somebody would make me poached eggs." Heck yeah, I love poached eggs, man. Yeah, my mom used to make me poached eggs for morning breakfast every morning. Okay, here's my gross truth, and then I'll leave it here. <laughs> okay. So in high school, when I got to have agency to decide what my ideal breakfast was. Uh-huh. I mean, like, look, I'm not pr- I'm not going to say that, like, I'm too good for peanut butter and jelly. Today, what I ate for dinner, if you want my dinner hack, was I ate Domino's pizza that sat on the counter all night. And I just microwaved <laughs> it really hard. <laughs> you that are my queen of, yeah. like, every Wednesday night is girl dinner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Struggle bus dinners. It's like so trash I to panda share, dinner. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to share my trash panda dinner because it was. I had a glass of wine with it. And... What my dinner is in bre- or my breakfast was in high school, which I would still gladly eat, I think, if it was like if I just sought it out and had some go wherewithal, is my mom would buy jars of pre-made gravy and I would have mashed potatoes and gravy for breakfast every single day. That was like my favorite breakfast once I got to high school was just mashed potatoes and gravy with like jarred gravy and like those like sheets of like mashed potatoes that you get in like microwave. <laughs> what that's what you would eat for breakfast yeah that was all i would eat for breakfast i mean i don't know there was know. no other like i was like <laughs> like no cereal i'd be like no cereal <laughs> no like cereal for starch, me a lot of starch to start your day yeah like no cereal no milk i would just be like how much great like i would have gravy in place of milk and i still would to this day like i love gravy i'll eat a gravy on anything <laughs> I mean, gravy's pretty good. Okay, why don't we get started on? So, I don't know. Any anyone's gonna? <laughs> so there's gotta be a, a gravy. There's gotta here. be a gravy segue. Well, maybe. Did you? So, okay, so was your is your poached egg journey from enemies to lovers? <laughs> no, no, that makes no sense. I'm gonna say that the grounding of en- enemies to lovers, I think, can be applied to cog- the idea of cognitive dissonance, which is a psychological theory developed in the 50s which describes the discomfort or tension that arises when a person holds conflicting beliefs. So basically we all are just seeking to like have consistency in our thoughts and feelings and behaviors. And when we have inconsistency, we experience cognitive dissonance. So we're then trying to like resolve the inconsistency and reduce discomfort. So right now, like for example, you're like, I like Leah and I want to be her friend, but I know that what she really wants to do is eat jar gravy and microwave mashed potatoes for breakfast i'm having a lot of like cognitive dissonance and trying to work this out another time when you're gonna have a lot of cognitive dissonance is when you're in an enemies to lovers relationship because you're gonna be like i hate this person Mm -hmm. but i can't stop thinking about how their hair looks the whole book is cognitive dissonance how do you like that for our segue great it was very intellectual i appreciate that thank you i pulled that right out of my ass Love it. Way to way to pull it out of your ass. <laughs> yeah. I pulled it out of the I pulled it out of the deep dark gravy. <laughs> no, no, we were fine where we were. I can't believe you just said I We were fine where we were. <laughs> That's legitimately one of the worst. I really things. hope your audio cut out of the recording there. I hope so. I can't believe you just said that. <laughs> what is, I was trying to connect it to a segue. Because now you just like Thanksgiving is coming up, and like all I'm gonna think about when I see the gravy oh my God, Leah. is 
is the is truths. What truths are going to come out of that gravy as you're pouring it on your plate? It's not true. Like, it's not truths. Like it's not truths. I'm going to be thinking about. <laughs> it's like the Oracle of Delphi would go into the cave, and what they would do is they would take the store. You just turned it into the orifice of Delphi. <laughs> Touche. Thank oh. you. I'll be here all week. <laughs> what up? <Ching. laughs> all right. Well, let's get to it. Let me go for me. <laughs> <laughs> and show. Anyang. Good night. Good night. Oh, my, my stomach. My, my stomach hurts. Okay. <laughs> so tonight. In case, like, you missed my thoughtful, provocative account of where we were going before it was cheapened by these two. Oh, <laughs> we um, cheapened it. Me. Yeah, we cheapened. <laughs> um, we're talking about enemies to lovers. So we're back on the trope talks. We really want to keep going through different tropes and kind of figure out what makes them work, what makes them so popular, and what we like about them and what we don't like about them. Okay. So, you know, here we go. Let's just kick this off with what is really appealing to you about the enemies to lovers trope and where does it rate in your ranking of favorite tropes? I, I like this one a lot. I, I think it's one of my top. I don't know if it's, I, mm, no, cause I mean, faded mates is my favorite. So I, I'd say enemies to lovers is, is way up there. Um, I like it most what I've been finding when it stems, like when the enemies to lovers stems from a shared past between the love interests, like they don't have to have had a romantic past, but it could be that too. Um, but so I guess I kind of, I kind of love when enemies to lovers is paired with second chance romance. Okay. I feel, I feel like mm. I have been liking that a lot lately and I've been writing it too. I just yeah. like been re- realizing when I was looking th- through today's script, I was like, yeah. Oh, I've been, like, marrying these two tropes together lately, and I like them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like that. For me, I don't know. It's not always – I think it's not always my favorite because I think I'm sort of, like, picky about my enemies to lovers. Um, I think right now in romance, the the bully genre is really popular. So that would mm-hmm. be, like, your boys over flowers. Like, it's, mm-hmm. you know, often the male bully and and the heroine is – the bleed and i don't like that i don't it's never gonna attract me um but you haven't I, seen boys over flowers <laughs> yeah but i like a good enemies to lovers when they're they're like at all when i like it when their goals do not align okay so the setup okay. is that they're, they're they're in there there's some sort of forced proximity and they kind of each want different goals i love that because i love seeing how for I love opening a book and they have you know like they're bickering and I think oh my god these two will never be together like they just they're it's just not gonna work but of course I know it is because it's a romance right and then I love seeing the journey that the writer takes me on how they finally mesh like the moment that makes me giddy in an enemies to lover story is the moment where they start to see each other as more than just their enemy like that inkling of where they start to humanize each other oh my god gets me every freaking time so um in that way i love it so maybe i like i like forced proximity enemies to lovers which surprise surprise Mm. i like forced proximity 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah, look, I think it's it's pretty up there for me. I think, um, like, it's definitely for sure in my top, absolutely in my top three. And generally, like, I think my top three kind of, like, bounces around a bit. Like, I love, because I also love, like, a grumpy sunshine. That's a real big favorite for me. And then, you know, look, even though I say I don't like it, I always like it. I like an office romance. Which yes, you do. has that forced proximity. And I'm going to put that in with, like, also, I'm going to consider office romance going to be, like, a good Josen, too. Because, you know, their office was just the palace. <laughs> so, you know, the work yeah. is a shared workplace. But I think that I like um, that I like that in a good enemies to lovers story, we have like a narrative transformation, right? So we have this like transition that happens where like the story focus when it's done really well, starts first on like conflict. And really, that's the story, right? And then if it's done well, then we're going to get into like that love and reconciliation part. And then we're going to move into the change in growth in both the individuals and the storyline. Mm -hmm. And so I think for a really good enemies to lovers to sustain itself over like a drama length, I think you also have to have some like pretty good um, B stories going to to also sustain the narrative. Yeah, I agree. Because otherwise you can really just keep that like pattern of con, like, you know what I mean? Like that pattern of conflict is, it's too, you need to have some B stories, I think. Otherwise it's, unless it's going to be real, real short. Well, I think you need the B story because if not, you're just going to have the two leads butting up against each other and it gets repetitive. So you kind of need a B story to like carry, like, yes, we want tension. Obviously, we talk about that when you're writing, but you also need to like relieve that tension. You need some sort of resolution to scenes. So you mm-hmm. the B story can kind of help carry that and kind of give the audience a little bit of break and then get right yeah. back to the enemies to lovers. Because I think if you don't have a B story, I think your enemies to lovers can't they're either going to lose interest because they're not like getting together fast enough or you get them together so fast and then it's over, you know? Yeah. And you have to hit those other beats like the yeah. the hate to like those points where you're like moving forward and so yeah you need to have that b story to kind of break it up over and over and i'm trying to think of like business proposals perfect or um that's true that's land, a good maybe less successful but yeah like just where you have and even like a secondary romance to really try to like focus yeah. the attention on just things to like bounce off so that you don't just kind of because you want to keep that really good tension in the main couple. And that's where I feel like when I feel like enemies to lovers just kind of like goes off track is too much because that kind of like dislike. And we're going to talk about other dramas in a bit or other shows. So I'll kind of save it like something like Pride and Prejudice. We can look at like how it's not just about Elizabeth Benny, right. Bennett and Mr. Darcy. Like we have key like the whole butter of the book is them. But we, like, bounce back to, like, her family or dramas with the sisters and that kind of thing. Well, I think I think Enemies to Lovers works really well with a B romance. Like, I don't think all yeah dramas obviously need a secondary romance, meaning not just, like, a secondary lead who's, like, vying for the attention. I mean, like, a full secondary romance, like, in Business Proposal. Um, I think it works really well because I think, especially if the secondary romance is, like, much sweeter – it gives that you that one- gratification yeah. that you're looking for. Yeah. Yes. And it gives you those sweet moments. So you then then you're almost like, 
it just, I don't know, the contrast of it as a viewer for me, I love because I love seeing the tension. But then I'm like, oh, but I'm really ready for like the sweet romance. Then, right. Oh, okay, so you get it me, over here. Yeah. yeah. Give me that secondary romance that's happening like faster. Because I think that's, that happens too. It depends. But in a lot, sometimes the secondary romances happen faster. And then part of the secondary romance storyline at the end is to help the main leads get back together which i always think is Mm -hmm. is really neat like give us give us a kim and q in the in the workout room and that can sustain us until the main couple gets together (laughs) yeah we even like see you in my 19th life had had a secondary romance and yeah that was part of their storyline sort of at the end was like to help the main couple and i i always think that's cute because then then you feel like there's this like happy family so have any of us written an enemies to lovers book. Yeah, I mean that's that's what I I was saying before, and I I find myself mirroring it to second chance romance, and um, I have, I believe, Leah, you can corroborate this. I believe that I have <laughs> an Audible book coming out in a couple weeks, but it's not up on Audible yet. Um, a holiday book where it is um, an enemies to lovers and they are uh, stuck on a road trip together. It's a holiday book. And Wait, what they, is it called? That sounds so... It's called How to Lose a Guy Before Christmas. Oh, okay. And it's an audible, it's an audible original. So it's, um, it's, it's going very, to... It's very, very, very cute. It's very, okay. it's very cute. I'm very excited for it. Um, yes, two people end up in a ride share together who do not want to be together. And then they get stranded in a small town called Tinsel, which is like a Christmas all the time ah! sort of town. That's so cute. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it, it's it's a lot of fun, and like you're saying with like B romances and stuff like that, like there's so much else going on in the town, and you know, with them, you know, and of course, forced proximity because they have to share a, a hotel room that basically looks like Austin Powers' bedroom, and yeah, there's so much else going on that I think is what carries the story until the actual romance part of it happens. So yeah, I do think that's important. It's hard to sustain it on just the enemies to lovers on its own. Yeah, I don't write this that often. I I think I think it's kind of hard to write. I will be honest. I think it's hard to sustain the tension. I think you really have to strike a balance that I just personally think is kind of difficult to write. But I did write one. I've written a few. I have, uh, but I have written one under Ella Maven. So the title is called Hunted by the Alien Assassin. I mean, of course it is. Of course it is. <laughs> I actually really love this book. I'm actually really, really proud of it. Um, it's a lot of fun. And basically, I had to... Okay, so she's a human in like another galaxy. And she is on the run. And he is hunting her. And uh, But I had to come up with... A reason I had to, uh, this is the thing. I didn't want him to just be like an indiscriminate killer because that's just not, I mean, that's fine, but that's just not what I like to write. So I had to give him like a valid reason for hunting her, which is he thinks she's selling out other humans. So he thinks that she has committed like the ultimate just sin of, you know, selling out her own kind, which she hasn't. Uh, she's been like, uh, Someone else, her enemy has been telling lies about her. So he has to chase her. So at the beginning of the story, obviously, she's running from him. He's like this big spiked bat because I think I was watching Stranger Things at the time. (laughs) (laughs) So he's he's alien Steve Harrington. He's an alien Steve Harrington with a big 
spiked club, which he calls Babe. I think I, I, ludicrous. I love it. I love it so much. But I obviously had to get to the point. This, that's the thing. I felt like that was a little bit of a sellout for an enemies to lovers because it was based on misunderstanding. But so a lot of them are. True. Like, I you feel, like, what, I feel right. like a lot of them. You're right. Because if you're really going to fall in love with somebody, then you weren't really enemies to begin with, right? True. Like it's something, something, and like we're, we're going to talk about books in a second. And like with one of them that I want to mention, it, it's because of a misunderstanding, but it can turn you into nemeses. Yeah. Yeah. Until and you so, figure it out. Yeah. And so he obviously, he wants to kill her because he thinks she's a terrible person and she thinks he's just like a big, terrible killer alien. And, uh, it's not until they realize that it's a misunderstanding and that he's like, Oh, wait a minute. I don't want to kill her anymore. And she's like, Ooh, now I can use this big killer to my advantage. And it gets really good. So I actually really, like I said, I really like that book. So yeah, it's called Hunted by the Alien Assassin. If you want to check it out. That's a, that's a title that does not fuck with you like what is this book about no yeah it is about a woman who is hunted by an alien assassin i don't like i understand what that book is about right i don't clickbait you (laughs) like this is what the book is about okay (laughs) i love that so much so funny so the first one that came to mind that i've written i've done a few enemies to lovers but one that you know what the two that like pop into my mind the both both come from um, my brightwater series which was uh, like small town romance, cowboy-ish, cowboy adjacent, <laughs> I would say. Um, and both were second chances. And so I am fitting that model. Like there's something there with that because I think that like the one I'm thinking of first was uh, Last First Kiss, which is like the the showrunner of the series, the first book. I and love so that book. it was love, like teen love. And, um, but the families are very, uh, against each other. And so, you know, the, the teen love can't outlast the families like hating each other. And the girl ends up leaving the town and comes back later and starts, you know, to catch feelings again, yet the family dynamics haven't super shifted. And so in some ways I could balance that with B story like there were a couple of B stories, like so, there was like a little bit of a woman's fiction bent of like, who is she coming back to like her hometown and who is she as a parent? Then there's that like enemies, like enemies to lovers where like they'd been lovers, then became kind of enemies. They want to be lovers again. And then like the overall reconciliation that has to happen between like families that have had like a big falling out. I like that. It's a very good book. I read it. Mm-hmm. Thank you. So what, okay. And this is, I think this is a good question to ask. Thank you to myself for asking it. <laughs> Um, which are you know what are some pitfalls or cliches that can happen with this trope and are there any ethical considerations in depicting a romantic relationship that originates from a place of animosity or conflict so i thought immediately about like office romance right because like business proposal and secretary kim and not that all these are like enemies to lovers type stuff but like when there's an enemies to lovers office romance it's off often one of them is higher up than the other, right? One's a subordinate. And so then there's some sort of ethical considerations there. If you are, if you can hold someone's job in your hands, um, does that stop me from liking an enemy celebrity office romance? Absolutely not. Um, and then Megan, you brought up, you know, like boys over flowers, because I, I do think that the bully trope is like an offshoot of enemies to lovers. 
And in my real life, do I want the bully to get the girl? Absolutely not. In my fantasy brain, am I okay with it? Sometimes, yes. Like, to use Boys Over Flowers as an example, like, Gujun Pyo was a horrible person <laughs> with not a lot of growth, but I loved him because it was Eamon Ho. But then there's also, in Airs, um, Cho Young-do, who, you know, is uh, Kim Woo-bin, who is forever one of my favorite characters ever. And he's a terrible bully and treats the heroine terribly, but is in love with her. But he doesn't get her at the end. And I, as much as I, you know, want a second, uh, second chance or sorry, second male lead SOS for him and have, what I like about that is he had to do too much growth for himself. Like he was not ready for a relationship and he didn't get the girl. And I was okay with that. But would I have taken him if he said, Amy, it's you? <laughs> Absolutely. 100%. Because I would I would fix that poor baby. I can baby. fix you. Yeah. I can fix you. But yeah, so I, I do think that's where you get into sort of a dilemma is, is the person, do they have power over you in like your career? Um, and is that person like also like not a very good person? But I don't buy enemies to lovers if there isn't like – some sort of reasoning behind the way you act the way that you do. Like, I, I don't buy it with just somebody being, you know, a dick for dick's sake. Mm. Right. So we had a comment that came in through Instagram that I thought was kind of interesting. I'm trying to see if I can pull it up to give it like exactly the quote. Um, I just had it. I just lost it. Give me a second to see if I can find it. If not, I'll paraphrase. Okay, here it is. So I had kind of like given a teaser on our Instagram that, hey, we're going to probably be talking about enemies to lovers. And somebody wrote, I'd love an enemies to lovers deep dive. But, you know, I'd also love an inquiry into the label toxic and whether or not it's a useful way to approach art or people or anything but literal poison. And I thought that was an interesting question. So I kind of thought about it. Do you have anything that you want to jump at with that or do you want me to ooze in? Go you, ahead. you, yeah, yeah, you was in. <laughs> okay. I don't, why, why? <laughs> Gravy, ooze, I don't even know what's happening tonight. Yeah. And so, you know, I think that labeling things as toxic has become a pretty common way to describe negative or harmful behaviors, relationships, environments. And when they said this, I was like, you know what? I haven't really like spent a lot of mental capital, like being troubled by things being labeled toxic. And I myself have probably like overused the word too. And so I think it's always interesting, like when you get pulled up on something when and you're like, oh, I use that. Everyone uses it. What does that mean? And the fact that it is really overused made me think about like how subjective it is. Because if like I consider some trait to be really toxic, you know, one of you might consider, <laughs> like if I consider... Well, no, I can't make a gravy analogy. I'm sorry. Please, let's know. But what one person considers toxic, <laughs> like somebody else might consider as challenging, but not necessarily harmful. So, for example, even this question, like, <laughs> I feel like there is like a idea of like using the word toxic can be um, really damaging. Whereas to me, I'm like, mm, it might not be great, but I'm not sure if it's super harmful. Um, but I will say that like in general, it probably is oversimplifying what are complex situations 
you can kind of just like slap like it's toxic and then like not have any like productive discussions or resolution. And so I think I personally was kind of guilty of this a little bit with some elements of like more problematic enemies to lover stories. Once upon a time, Mm -hmm. there have been times where like I have really, you know, and I look, I knew I was being a judgy bitch and I was just comfortable being a judgy bitch of being like, look, like if they're really bullying in their relationship, that's very toxic. And I don't want to read a toxic book. And look, I still might not want to. I still might not want to read a heavily bullying hero book. Like that may not just be like, that's not going to get me in the gravy, so to speak. (laughs) But I think that like, rather than just being like, ew, it's toxic. And I think that can become like reader shaming. And you can also be like, well, whenever there's like something that seems really popular and people are gravitating to it, like there should be some element of interest of like looking at it as like, what's the nuance here? What is, what's underpinning this? Like what's the why behind why people are liking this? And my guess is there's generally something interesting to play. So I guess I just thought it was interesting that somebody wanted to kind of like poke that toxic bear in talking about enemies to lovers and probably because of something like boys over flowers, right? Where we're like enemies to lovers, classic K-drama, very toxic. You could just be like, that's boys over flowers. So yeah, I think that's a great example is people just being like boys over flowers is classic enemies to lovers. It's very, very toxic. I, I, I mean, I've done this. I've said the same thing, but really it's like, unpacking it is much more interesting and probably yes. fruitful. Just like when Sobak, I watched it and I was like, I don't like it. It's dumb. And Megan was like, actually, let's look at this as a holistic, like, let's unpack it. Let's like be thoughtful about it. I don't know Fair if point. I was, I don't know if I was like that intelligent <laughs> about it. I was just like, don't call it. Don't, don't make me feel bad. <laughs> don't make me feel man. <laughs> I mean, there's always a reason people are going to like tropes, even if they're quote unquote, toxic there's always going to be something that like attracts people to certain things they maybe see themselves in certain characters or maybe they just have some sort of like cathartic per like thing to work out and that's okay um you know i think enemies to lovers isn't any more toxic than any other trope to be honest like i really i really don't think so and I don't, um, I, yeah, I think putting yeah i was gonna say i think putting like just the label of toxic on the whole trope I think the trope is way too nuanced for that. Most of the tr- most of the enemies to lovers books I read, there's like a perfectly valid reason, obviously, why they're like enemies and why they don't get along. And uh, that's, I mean, we're going to talk about K dramas that are enemies to lovers, and yeah. almost all of them, there's like very good reasons, obviously. And so, I mean, not saying that this listener is placing all of this as toxic, but just I'm just saying, I think I agree with Leah that. I think it's, yeah, it's very easy to say, or you know, yeah, this is toxic without maybe examining why. Like, I think in, like, the Twitter or X age, like, we, mm-hmm. you know, we shorten things. And it's like, no, let's have, like, a full discussion. I guess that's, that's what we're what here for. for. Yeah, that's what we're here for. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we will talk this to death. <laughs> I know. But, like, I mean, I'm even thinking, you know, like, you know, like, June Pio, like, you know, being a bully, but there is redemption there, right? Like he's not like horrible all the way until till the end. And then when we talk about like office romances that have enemies to lovers, a lot of times it is because people are in competition for the same job. Like that's a big part of the trope too. And that doesn't mm-hmm. make anybody a shitty person. It just puts mm-hmm. people in opposition. Like we, mm-hmm. what you were talking about in the beginning, Megan, like when people's goals don't align, mm-hmm. that sometimes is the reason why you're enemies. And it, it makes for 
some very good reasons sometimes. Can there be toxic enemy solvers? Sure. But mm-hmm. not as a whole, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there could be, to- I mean, there could be toxic anything. Lovers, yeah. any- anyone can write something that just is off the wall, but then we'll tell you about it. We'll be like, this drama was toxic, but here's why. <laughs> and then we'll have an hour-long discussion about it. <laughs> yeah. Anybody, oh. like... Getting an earworm of like Britney Spears toxic in their head right now because yes, I am the entire time. Thank you. Same. Has anyone read yeah. the Britney Spears book? Um, no, I have not, but I have watched clips and stuff about it because I've been interested, but I have not read it yet. I probably will though. I have not, as I'm actually okay. reading Matthew Perry's book right now. Oh, yeah. I watched some clips just in your honor. The pivot, pivot, pivot. pivot. Oh, man. I thought of you. Um, Okay, so do you have any favorite books or movies that feature this trope? Why, yes. I just read one. Um, I had something else written down that I just remembered a book that I just finished. I just like went on a big Christina Lauren bender, um, which I thoroughly enjoyed. And The Unhoneymooners is a fantastic enemies to lovers. And just to give like a quick premise of it, it is Olive and Ethan, who are the sister and brother of... Her twin sister and his brother just got married. But everybody at the dinner, at the wedding, there's like a shellfish buffet. And everybody gets food poisoning except for Olive because she's allergic to shellfish and Ethan because he won't eat from buffets because he thinks they're gross. <laughs> and so, so they end up taking the honeymoon for their brother and sister because the whole premise is that her sister like can win any contest. So she basically got the whole wedding like funded for almost free and their honeymoon was non-refundable and like nobody like they could not leave like the house they couldn't leave the bathroom so ethan and olive have to take the honeymoon but they like their banter in the beginning like and like he calls her like everything but her name and she's making snide comments to him all the time and there is like something that happened in the past and why this all you know where it all stemmed from and of course it's neither neither of what they think is the reason why they hate each other but you don't find that out till so much else later. So yes, yeah, so they they go on this honeymoon together and they hate each other. But mm-hmm. of course, they don't hate each other at the end. The unhoneymooners so so good. Highly recommend. And movies, movies I will toss out there because we said movies too, right? A great movie is The Proposal with Ryan Reynolds and Sandra Bullock. Love that movie. She's his boss, by the way, and he's her assistant. And she needs a green card wedding because she's Canadian, <laughs> which I think is really funny because in real life he's Canadian. I think that's true. Well, I'm, I'm going to go with a movie because speaking of you were talking about how you like kind of like second chance enemies to lovers, the classic Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Mm. With Angelina oh, yeah. So good. So, oh, that's such a other. great example. <laughs> it's such a good movie. It's a uh, classic. They're trying to kill each other. And they're both uh, assassins. Yeah, they're both assassins. They were married, but they each thought the other was just a plain... James a regular person. old person. <laughs> regular old person. Turns out they're both assassins and now they've been hired to kill each other. And they never really like they like they kind of like fake the marriage at the beginning, but now they're like, oh. And in their effort to kill each other, they're like, oh, I actually kind of love this person. They're pretty It's a hot. super fun, super yeah, fun movie. It's a great movie. Funny story about that movie is it was one of those nights where my kids and I could not agree on a movie that everybody wanted to watch. Like we have every streaming station you can think of, right? So I'm like, fine, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go pull up the bins of DVDs from the basement, and we're going to watch one of my DVDs. And I uh, pulled out I pulled out Mr. and Mrs. Smith, and we watched it, and we loved it. It's a great movie. 
So I'm going to share a book and a movie. And that is To All the Boys I've Loved Before. Because I think that that is, you know, look, Amy and I are both aligned. We like a high school story. (laughs) And this one I think is perfect. And basically it's about Largene and Peter and their fake relationship where they don't really like each other, but they have a fake relationship that's going to suit mutual purposes. And eventually throughout the course of the show, they develop genuine feelings for each other. Jenny Han book. And I, I love both. Like I love the book and they did such a great job with the movie as well. That's such a good example. I love that. So now it's time for our favorite segment of every episode. It's our K-pop wreck of the week. And this week we have Leah. Okay. So I am here this week to talk about, look, Shiny has been growing on me in K-pop for, you know, this entire year. And I'm going to say that Megan has always been a hard Taemin stand and really has like advocated for Taemin the whole time. I am finally really on the Taemin wagon hard. And I think it's because I, he was in the military. So I just didn't get a chance to go for it. Like when, as I was getting into K-pop the most, he's been gone, but I've been like enjoying seeing like older content. And now that he's back, I'm into him. So he just released a new EP, which is his first music since his mandatory military enlistment ended in April of this year. And the song Guilty is super good. The dance in it, there's like this dance move where like he puts his hand with the dancers like under his shirt and kind of like lifts it up in like a very sexual way. And it is nothing but gravy. It's like turkey gravy. It is like un filtered clots of gravy. (laughs) (laughs) Nope. You cannot make clots sexy. (laughs) But you know who could? Taman. I bet if he climbed into (laughs) a vat of gravy, I'd be like, gravy's it now. Gravy. Like there's nothing like he could do a song called gravy and not guilty. And I'd be into it. And it's just him (laughs) in a vault of gravy. Yeah, I just think it's it's very much the drama. He's very much the main character. I think it's a good song. I think it's got great dancing. And it's a really fun music video to watch. So I'm all in. Taman. Woo! Thank you. And thanks for giving me like a little bit a little bit. I have been I have been hyping Taman up to you, so thank you. I, I appreciate that shout out. If you enjoy our podcast, you have our patrons to thank at least in part. Afternoon of Delight Patreon allows us to keep creating content for y'all to enjoy. Thank you so much to everyone who is supporting us there. And not to brag, but our Patreon community is pretty awesome. And you can join at a tier that feels good to you. Gain access to fun perks like K-drama posts, monthly Patreon-only bonus podcasts, and even a live K-drama support group on Zoom because we know firsthand what it's like to have no one to talk to about those crazy plot twists, amazing characters, and all those feelings. And look, no one should have to walk that walk alone. So learn more by visiting afternoonadelight.com. That's www.afternoonadelight.com. And hey, while you're on the website, you can check out Afternoon Delight podcast merch, find links to book recommendations, bop along to our K-pop recs, Blow up your skin with K Mertrex. Find all of our social media and a link to our email so you can send us recommendations or feedback. And hey, while you're at it, why don't you pop over to Spotify or Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review? It really helps with our discoverability. Gamsamnida!
So K-dramas are full of the enemies to lovers trope, and we're going to make every effort to talk about these dramas without spoilers. But if we need to say one, we'll give a heads up first. So let's get into it. Let's talk about gender or power imbalances that can often happen in enemies to lovers. Thoughts? So I think we've already kind of touched on this, and I feel like the power imbalance happens most often in an office romance, like where the love interest is. One love interest is the subordinate of the other, like think Secretary Kim or Business Proposal. And there's also the situation where one love interest is the other's protector, like Crash Landing on You. Um, Yunseri is one like badass, like chable woman in her own right. But when she gets stuck in North Korea, she is at the mercy of Captain Ree. Power imbalance. But when he, spoiler, shows up in Seoul in the second half, she now has the upper hand. So it's, it's sort of like a geographic type of thing. But also they're already in love at that point. So it's no longer an enemies to lovers. But I did really like. I liked that power imbalance. I like when one has to protect the other against his, you know, better judgment because he wanted nothing to do with her, even though he was taken with her the second that he saw her. Cause I love that we get to see that, that alternate view of when she lands in the tree and he finds her and you get to see it from Captain Ree's point of view. Again, I'm not going to like put the toxic blanket on power imbalance because if it's dealt with well, and it's not taken advantage of, then I like it. If one person uses it to the detriment of the other, then I get ick. Yeah, so this is the thing, is that I feel like K-dramas have a way of sort of neutralizing that power imbalance. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that's because a lot of these dramas are written by women or what. Um, but I would say Business Proposal was one that there was always this threat of her losing her job but the threat was almost like mostly in her head like i don't think he never would have put that on her and what was interesting is i felt like for most of the drama he was the one who was pursuing her it felt like he was the one who was like moony eyed for her and she was just like no 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 and and, and look, it almost felt like she had m way more of the power actually in that kind of entire romance than than he did I would say Touch Your Heart, first of all, is not en enemies to lovers, but it was just a kind of an example where it's like a workplace, although she didn't need to like lose her job because she was an actress and she was just playing a role. But still, they just had a way of just not making me, it didn't feel icky. I, I, I do feel like there are a lot of K-dramas that show bad power imbalances for like for a reason. That's not like the main romance. There's like some sort of B story that where... Yeah, there's like a really creepy boss who's like hitting on his secretary or something. But I feel like that's always done very much in contrast to the non-icky romance. This is where, okay, I guess I want to take it on like a slightly different trope. And maybe like I didn't expect to be talking about this point, but I think that this is a good place to like slot it in. So I think this might be because where I think that this gets at one of the reasons why I like quote unquote BL so much is because we don't get that like gender imbalance often with a BL when we have an enemies to lovers take. And I feel like we have a lot of enemies to lovers tropes in BL. So Kin Porsche, for example, is classic. But I would say a lot, like when you start to really go through it, like most of the BLs I can think of have like an enemies to lovers bent. 
But I feel like it works in a different way for me because I'm not caught up in some sort of like gendered power paradigm. I'm just enjoying the story. And because they're both men or in boy love, it's there's something with the power dynamic that I'm completely removed from the equation. And like, the patriarchy is kind of hashing it out amongst themselves. And you just get to bear witness to it. And so I think that because sometimes I wonder, like, what is it about BLs that keep me coming back over and over? Because it doesn't feel like fetishizing to me where and I know sometimes there can be that as like a critique of like, why would a woman want to watch like men falling in love? Well, I argue we like to watch I like to watch any good love story happen. I don't really mind about gender. But for me, I think in particular, BL is something I like to come back to because I feel like it really is like patriarchal systems grappling with themselves and letting like deep healing occur, occur within like the masculine. I find it very therapeutic. Yeah, I agree with that. And that often is why I watch BLs too, because there is kind of that removal of the gender inequality. And sometimes it's nice because as a woman, sometimes no matter what I'm watching, I'm going to watch it from my lens. And so kind of however women get treated, sometimes it'll like, tick a little box in my head that'll make me go er, er, like it's like a I don't know, a little alarm or something. And so sometimes I just want to turn that alarm off. And that that can be when I watch BLs. So I actually I do agree with that. So what is let's I mean, let's get to the, the meat of this. What yeah. is a great enemies to lovers in K drama? Pick one and unpack why like sell us on it or sell our listeners on it because we might be picking ones that we've all watched anyway. Yeah. So I just want to say I'm not what I'm not going to talk about love to hate you because I I was surprised. I know, but I literally just talked about it last week and like tried to sell people on it. So I don't want to like double people are going to be like, oh, my God, you just talked about that drama. So you know what? I'm going to talk about mad for each other because we haven't talked about that in a while. I, and we did all of us watched it and we have a full podcast episode on it. And I, and I love it. And I will, I do want to give a preface because we did have a listener one time that was like, Oh, there was just, you know, the, the heroine, uh, was in a very abusive relationship and they don't really shy away from showing that. And that was really triggering for her. So I do want to make sure I mention that, that there, the heroine was in a very, she was in a domestic, a severe domestic. It was really bad. It was. And they, they don't shy away from kind of really showing her trauma or even showing like a flashback. So yeah. Anyway, I just want to preface that now that a listener brought that to our attention because she, she's absolutely right. But mad for each other. We all love this drama. It was kind of like a sleeper hit for all of us, but these two, (laughs) these two characters, I'm not going to get into like the whole backstory on them, but they both have severe anxiety over things that happened in their past. They're both in very unhappy places in, in their lives. The hero can't get a hold of his anger. He's on a leave from his job as a police officer. And the heroine is basically a shut in who's it just is, is not healing that great, uh, from the aftermath of her, her, the domestic violence situation. And I know that sounds really heavy, but the drama is very funny as well. And so when they... It's surprisingly funny. Surprisingly very funny. Yeah. And the first episode is kind of like a comedy of errors where she thinks he's like stalking her and he's not. They just, they live right beside each other. So they're like going to the same place, but like all this, 
all these kind of like weird things happen with like an umbrella and a shoe and it's just a and lot. he just wants to get home because he's about to shit his pants yes he just wants to get home because he's about <laughs> to shit his pants and he just wants to shit alone in his toilet and it's really really great um but they keep running into each other because they live next door and they go to the same therapist um and so as they keep running into each other once she realized he's not stalking her they sort of have this like banter i mean they are enemies though they're at the very beginning but then they sort of start to have this like banter that still has some animosity in it and then they start to really get to know each other and it shifts and the moment in this drama uh i mentioned earlier like when they really start to see each other as like human beings <laughs> and and then as love interests is beautiful like i i, th I thought the romance in this was touching it made me cry it made me laugh to me, this this is one of the best enemies to lovers in K-dramas that I have seen. And it's a great transition, too, because it's not just all of a sudden, wait, I'm attracted to you. There's like a real friendship that blooms first. And it's, it's like so It's like enemies good. to friends to lovers, and it's yeah. beautiful. It's beautiful. And I just want to say, I am not a robot. It's kind of like that, too. Okay. <laughs> Honorable mention for I am not a robot. Honorable mention. <laughs> of course. Mad for Each Other was actually the first one that I thought of. And I came to the script, I scrolling through it. I was like, I'm going to write Mad for Each Other. And you, Megan had already written it. I was like, I know. damn it. I, I claimed it. I was supposed to like, I'm going to get it for anyone else writes it. <laughs> like, Megan had put nothing else in the script I yet. <laughs> I didn't even put an explanation. I was just like, claiming it. Mad for Each Other. I was like, like damn it. I licked it at Damn it. I did. I did. I licked it. I licked she it. totally liked it. But you know what? That's Okay. Because I'm going to toss out there, and we kind of talked about it. Um, I had BTS Megan on the pod a couple weeks ago, and we did Destined for You. And so I'm going to give another little plug for Destined for You, because it starts as an Enemies to Lovers. And the first time I've ever seen this twist on an Enemies to Lovers, an Enemies to Lovers where one accidentally gets fed a love potion. So, you know, do with that what you will. And the person who accidentally gets fed a love potion is Rowoon. So come on. It was, um, first of all... Is the first time I've ever seen Rowan play like a stone cold, like sort of dark, clipped, little angry, like Chabal. Mm. And then he turns into like a total golden retriever. And it's the best thing ever. Um, so it's a, a definitely a different twist on enemies to lovers because, you know, love potion. So mm -hmm. yeah, that's mine. All right. I'm going to talk on one that we haven't talked about too much. And I'm not going to give too much away, but um, I am going to touch on true beauty. Because look, and, and I do also I realize that as I wanted to talk about it, I'm like, it, we also have very much neglected a huge trope that complements enemies to lovers at our own peril, which is love triangles. How are we leaving out love oh. triangles to enemies to lovers? Because that is a great pairing as well. And we see that like in airs, like chef's kiss. And so true beauty offers the love triangle, which some people love some people hate but it's the love triangle and then you kind of have this enemies to lovers bent happening and without giving away too much because there is a love triangle i will say that like one thing that's kind of funny within true beauty is it kind of spoofs i mean look i feel like it it's in on the joke a little bit that like part of the thing is truly when she wears her glasses and has no makeup no one knows who the fuck she is and then she takes off her oh. glasses and puts on makeup and she's like a whole new you. 
And so basically she was like a heavily bullied student, really just like very like painfully bullied, honestly. And she's a giant comic book nerd. And she ends up going to a new school where she has YouTubed her way into makeup trends. So she's very cute when she's at school. And then when she's at home, she's like the dorky girl with her glasses and ponytail that hangs in the comic book shop. So when she's at school, she's beautiful. And the handsome boy at school is kind of like, meh, whatevs. But the handsome boy at school kind of has like a comic book nerdy underbelly and likes to hang at the comic book store. And he kind of has catching feelings for the nerdy comic book girl that he like deals with there. And has no idea that the beautiful girl in his class is the same person. And she is very scared that if he finds out that like her social life is going to fall apart because everyone's going to know she's like the ugly duckling, essentially. So we have ugly duckling layer and love triangle layered over like some enemies to love you. So at school, he's not like horrific. He's not like a bully to her and like a total bad guy, but he's just very not interested. Like, couldn't be less interested. And she also is having, like, some real whiplash at the beginning because at first she thinks, like, he's in on it. Like, she real she thinks he knows her secret. And so she's at school, like, hey, hey, you know, it's me. And he's like, what the fuck are you doing? And then she's like, oh, you still just don't, like, you still just don't like me. Okay, okay. And then so she's, like, has this, like, funny duality. So, I mean, it's not, like, a deep enemies to lovers, but I mean... Um, I feel like it is like there's animosity, but it's funny because like, and this is where it also can stretch out the tension is he's falling for one version of her, but enemies with the other version, but it's all her. And I think that's fun too. Plus there's like a love triangle layered over it too, where she also at the beginning certainly doesn't get along with um, the other male lead either. One thing I realized two BLs that are really good enemies to lovers, semantic error is Yes. A great enemy lovers. So yes. what? I'm like, oh shit, why didn't we mention that? And then my dating sim is at mm-hmm. Amy's favorite. It's like basically the uh, the beginning is the 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 one boy can confess his feelings to his like best friend like the day they like graduated mm-hmm. high school or something. And then he like runs away cuz he's like, "Oh my god, my friend's going to reject me." And he runs away. And they don't see each other for like eight years or something i don't remember the time frame it doesn't really matter but they're like professionals now and the boy who ran away is now a man and gets hired and now he's co-workers with his like former crush and like he sees him again and he like still has feelings and they have to work together but and he is still like just hiding like he's even though he made that one confession now he is just buttoned up he's like i'm not giving anything away i'm never making that mistake again but i have to work with this guy and the other guy's like like well you have to watch it but it's it's Mm -hmm. very good but it's definitely kind of like that enemies to lovers uh where there's like a second chance and it was really it was it's, it's a really great bl and it's really sweet so i feel like yeah i had to throw that out there and one more that i just want to say is i just realized i totally spaced the name as it was like i want to recommend it it's either not you or not me not you not you right you watch not you oh my god i forgot it's and that's a great one because wait let me look it up it's also the so the trope that because i think this is the thing that like the lesson really to take with this it's not me all tropes are more powerful when you find not me okay so when they find their ideal match like a peanut butter and jelly trope and so Not Me has enemies to lovers, but it also has, like, mistaken identity because we have twins. And so we have a guy who's, like, mortal enemies with one twin. 
And then when that twin goes into a coma, the other twin is like, I'm going to impersonate him to figure out who put my twin in a coma. And I really love my coma twin's arch enemy. (laughs) And then when the twin wakes up, the poor love interest is like either with boyfriend who's like the biggest muffin and just like loves on him or every once in a while, the twin who woke up comes back and is like, fuck you, I hate you, punches him in the face. And he still thinks it's all the same person just being crazy. Okay, so what are some K-drama scenes that highlight this trope well? And actually, I do have one. I'm going to, if that's okay, I'm going to go ahead and answer yeah, go the ahead. question first. I missed so it. So <laughs> this is actually from Love to Hate You. And this isn't really a spoiler, truly. Um but they like they're full enemies to lovers. I had mentioned in the last podcast, the heroine, if she thinks any man has done, even if he says a negative word about another woman, she's just like, fuck you. I hate you. Like she is for the girls. Okay. This heroine is for the girls. And so she thinks that this famous actor is carrying on a relationship with an underage girl because she sees this, she sees him give money to this underage girl like she sees him take this underage girl into his home and then he t- brings her back out a little bit later and gives her money. And she had already heard, she already like didn't like him for a different reason. So she's like, oh, he's definitely like, oh, he's a, oh my God. And so when he needs someone to train him how to fight dirty for this role, uh, this acting role, she's like, this is my chance. I am going to beat the shit out of him. So she's so excited because she's like, you know, she thinks he's this like molester. And so she, they start training and they're like fighting and she <laughs> killing him. I mean, she is like beating the absolute shit out of him. And at one point she knocks him out. Like she it really, really does a number on him. And she's like, she tries to like look through his phone. And then all of a sudden his like manager or something comes around the corner and the girl is there. And she's like, oh my gosh, it's the girl. I can't believe he's like parading her in front of me. And then he finds out that the girl is his niece. I was like, it's gonna be sister. Or yeah, something and he like has that, like, yeah. and again, this isn't like a spoiler. You know that she, he's his. You never think this guy is having a relationship with an underage girl. Like, you know that it's just a matter of time till she finds out the truth. But when she finds out the truth, it's hilarious because he is like knocked out. She had beaten the shit out of him. He thinks it's for the role, and he's like, "Wow, well, you really got into it." And she realizes she completely misjudged this guy because he like loves his niece. He's like a great uncle. And that's like the start of when she's realizing that she has misunderstood a lot about him after she just kicked the shit out of him. And then he's because he gets up, he like wakes up from whatever her her knocking him out. And he's like, okay, I mean, gosh, that's this is this is really tough. All right, let's let's fight again. And then he's like, okay, come at me. And she like she feels terrible. Just and so she's like running from him. <laughs> she's like, no, don't make me hit you. Because you know, she, then she doesn't want to beat him up. Now she. Feels oh, I want to watch it so bad yeah, because I need to see tell you like this. Oh my god, it is so great! It is so great because he's like so. He clearly has like so much affection for his niece, and you can tell his niece has affection for him. So she, and she's like an intelligent woman, the the heroine. She obviously reads. Now she reads the relationship correctly, and she's like, oh shit! And it's just a really great scene because it's like this, this. It's like this, that's the beginning of the transition when she starts to see him differently. And it's just, it's just the fact that it's such a cool scene when it it happens. And it's so, you know what I mean? It's like a, a scene that sticks in my memory and it was great. That's awesome. I liked it a lot. 
All right, I'm going to go with one from a drama that, like, look, I've dogged it. A, I used to dog it all the time, and then I haven't talked about it for a while. But I realized that, like, look, I watched the whole thing. There's elements to it that I did enjoy, even though I dogged it. And it's called She Was Pretty. But what I realized in the She Was Pretty is it has a little bit of the same thing that happens in True Beauty, where the premise of the story is, like, there were, like, childhood besties. And neither of them were super attractive. And then they like split up when they're separate ways. And then she grows up and she's not, apparently she's not pretty because she has like frizzy hair and red cheeks, right? Like she's gorgeous, even though she's not pretty. And, uh, oh, okay. And the conceit was when they were younger, actually, she was quite cute and he was like not cute. That's why it was called She Was Pretty. Duh. Sorry. And now he's grown up and he's Park Sejun. So he's pretty. And <laughs> so he reaches pretty. out and he reaches out to be like, yo, I'm back in town. Let's hang. And like she looks him up and is like, holy shit. Like I can't meet him with my frizzy hair and red cheeks. Like I used to be cute and now I'm just like this like office hack in this like job, whatever. So I'm gonna get my best friend who's super cute to go see him because that'll solve all my problems. Like he'll think I'm still cute and adorable and like I won't lose face. The problem is, is that he's her new boss. So then she creates a situation where he thinks that the cute friend is his like childhood friend. And he doesn't really like his like hapless, weird coworker in the office, who's actually like the person that he really liked all along. And so there's this kind of like funny, like misunderstanding of identities, blah, 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 blah. But even though ultimately there's elements that did not execute and come together for me, the heroine has really, really good comic timing. And so there's just a lot of like office politics with like, he has like one of those like fishes with the windows and he can see everything that's like happening on the floor. And she's constantly like getting caught out doing like ridiculous things and like makes eye contact with him kind of like scoffing at her. And so I just, I do like that kind of panopticon if I'm going to be like really smart about it, where like, I don't know when I was like an English class a long time ago, we used to like read Foucault books and talk about like the constant surveillance of like a prison system and things like that. And so in many ways, like that fishbowl CEO office kind of has that element of like, all seeing all watching and they're just like kind of like separate and all glass and then they can see you just like every time you fuck up you look over and they tend to be watching you and so i kind of like that like tension that can happen that can be kind of like a good underbelly with an enemies to lovers is and here's the thing that we haven't mentioned either and i know we've talked about in an earlier pod somebody it's not one of our quotes but somebody else said the perennial magic of enemies to lovers is that someone can see us at our worst and still find us lovable and that like always stayed with me. Like once somebody shared that was like the core truth of enemies to lovers, I was like, ooh, my heart. Sure. But yeah, I feel like in this case, like he would just see her at her worst, her most awkward, her most fucking up over and over and over. And then still at some point they fall in love. I like that a lot. I know me too. And I don't have a specific scene, but I just thought of a specific like sort of B story couple that I think has a lot of great enemies to lover scenes. And that is in, because this is my first life, Sangu and Suji, mm. um, who were like one of my favorite couples. Like it starts out where they like bump into each other and he knows that they, like they slept together and she acts like she doesn't remember him. And that's how it like kind of all starts from there. And he like texts her and she blocks his messages and like, it's funny, it's played up for a lot of comedy, but then it does get like very emotional. 
And I mean, this isn't like a huge spoiler because it, it's an enemies to lovers. So you know that they get together, but like the way that they get together is like the whole like animosity part of it gets to him so much that he literally just like bursts into tears. <laughs> and he's like, I can't do it anymore. I can't do this. Like whatever it is, like whatever we're going, I can't, I can't do it anymore. And then she just kisses him and it's, it's awesome. But they're just a super fun couple and a great sort of B story. I don't even know if I would call it a B story because I feel like because this is my first life is very much an ensemble drama. Because I, I feel like all three couples get pretty like almost equal screen time. But anyway, that's a great enemies to lovers couple, I think. Hmm. I agree. And so uh, I'm really glad that this question is in here because I was actually thinking I was like in the shower today and I was like... There's so many good enemies to lovers relationships in K-dramas that aren't romances. And then I look at the script and the question is, enemies to lovers is a well-used romance trope, but it's not limited to romance. What are some K-dramas that utilize this trope in a non-romance pairing, such as friends, coworkers, relatives, etc.? I think we get so many good bromances that mm-hmm. are enemies to lovers bromances, like... You know, I I mean, you got to go back and watch our or listen to our bad and crazy pod because I can't say much other than K and Suyol, but like if you know, you know. If you know, you know. If you know, you know. It's the and greatest then, of all time. Yeah, and then you know what? I get to bring up Goblin cuz Goblin and Reaper. Like mm-hmm. fantastic enemies to lovers. Well, and like the three bromances in Mr. Sunshine. They're like all enemies. I yeah. was saving that for Leah. That's oh, why I'm I sorry. didn't <laughs> <gasps> It's okay. You can take it. No, no, go ahead. No, no, you go. No, I have another one. <laughs> um, so the one I'm going to touch on um, is like a parallel. Like, so it has um, at least one of my Mr. Sunshine actors in it, which is um, me saying has, I think, an interesting kind of bromance because like it's interns who are pitted against each other essentially in like competitive office dynamics. So, like you get into these high profile internships and like only the strong survive. So they're like, they're, they're designed to cutthroat you. They're designed to like make everyone want to like shank each other to get ahead. And so you have like these babies essentially. Um, you have like baby Byun Yohan, who's my, I just love him. We have baby Kong Han Newell. We have MC Wan. And so they're all in the office culture. They're not friends. Yet, as the drama goes on, like, here's the thing is like, no man is an island, no person is an island. And you really only succeed when like, there's acts of kindness across the board, or somebody looks out for you, or someone sees that you're struggling. And rather than stabbing you in the back, they give you a hand up, even if it might not totally serve their needs. And so I just enjoyed that was part of the dynamics with me saying that I liked were like these younger people trying to make it in a very, very competitive, pretty ugly world. And me saying ultimately just has so much kindness and goodness in it because you have these like middle managers and you have these moments that sound so boring. I even say middle manager and I'm like, like you still have not sold me on this drama. Like, even with the cast, you have never sold me on this drama. You've tried so hard. It still I'm trying to think of like, how do you- It's not going to happen. You know when it came up, like, what drama will you never watch? Me saying. (laughs) (laughs) Really? I mean, it's in my top- You're so mean to It's in my top three. I know. We're so mean. (laughs) Like, it's truly in my top three. And so the fact, like, here's the thing. Here's, Here's my challenge. Is that 
maybe what we need to do moving forward at some point. And so I'm not going to say watch all, I'm not going to say you sign up and have to do 16 episodes, but I think that at some point we need to do a thing where we each make one person pick what drama that they're never going to want to watch that we think is quite good and say three episodes. Yeah, yeah for sure. I, I think that that'd be idea. super fun. I yeah. think we should. I really think we because should. I can give three episodes <laughs> to see you in my 19th life. Okay. <laughs> no, you can't. I don't think you can. I can. <laughs> okay. So I have more enemies to lovers that are not a romance. So, uh, tail the nine tailed, the mm. Lee brothers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh I mean, gosh. So good. Classic enemies to lovers. So great. I mean, I think that's actually one of the best, the best. It examples. is. It is. And then I would even go so far as to say Anoju and Bong Sung Pil from Lawless Lawyer. They go mm-hmm. from complete enemies to have to work together. Uh, sort of. They go back to enemies again. <laughs> they do. I mean, it does not end well. <laughs> it's like it does not end well. To reluctant partners to enemies again where they're killing each other. But it still is. It's a complicated relationship. Mm-hmm. And I always found it uh, very interesting. So those are my two that I can think of now. Yeah, when I'm someone kills your when someone about. kills your mom, it's complicated. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're not gonna be friends. You're not coming to Christmas dinner. You're not pouring the gravy with that person. <laughs> and I want to shout this one out too because I think it was really well done. Is um, hometown cha cha cha, which is Shin Minah's character yes. uh, Yoon Hai Jin against the entire fucking the, t- town. the whole town, the whole town. <laughs> Because there's enemies to lovers. I mean, I don't even know if I'd say enemies to lovers in the main story for that. It's almost like opposites attract. Yeah, I would say that's more of it. So almost like an opposites attract main romance and then an enemies to lovers B connection to the town. How about in business proposal, the the best friend? (laughs) Um... Young mm. So and her cousin. I have no chingu. Her cousin. I have no chingu. Oh, <laughs> that is pretty good. <laughs> then they then they become friends. Yeah, Jo Yu Jo Yu Jung. I had to find her name. Jo Yu Jung is the character of the. the I feel like there is like mother daughter or mother son relationships that are like enemies mm. to where they make up, but I can't think of any right now. What about mm. like because this is my first life? Oh, that'd be yeah. a good one. You're right. And it's not even so much enemies where it is like you just don't – a daughter doesn't understand her mother and a mother doesn't understand her daughter. Right. And then they come to that understanding. That was so good. Oof. Okay. Well, I think that's it. I'm actually really curious what others think about this trope. I want to hear what dramas come to your mind. Like, let us know in Instagram comments. Yeah, I want to hear what you guys think and what are your favorite dramas. I know we're, like, missing some. Like, I feel like there's a bunch that are on the tip. Of I'm my sure. Head. And ones obviously we haven't seen. So let us know and sound off in the comments for sure. And go watch the video for Britney Spears Toxic. Yes. Because it's a good song. <laughs> and let us know. <laughs> oh my God. So funny. Let us know what, uh, what other types of tropes you want us to cover. Because we love trope talks. Oh my gosh. This is really I fun. love this so much. It's probably my favorite thing to do. So give us a trope and we'll do it. It actually gets me jazzed about writing because I have words I still need to do tonight. So. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah. I've got to write tonight. I've got to start drafting as of today. And I'm writing an enemy to lovers right now. So with a second I, chance twist. Ooh. I have to finish nice. a novella in like four days. And I have like, I'm not telling you how much I've written because it's not good. So yeah. How we'll long there. does it have to be? Eh, like 15,000 words. So, not so, you, got, so you got like 15,000 words to write. 
basically. I'll knock it out. It'll be fine. Okay. All right, everyone. Wish us luck. <laughs> well, I forgot we were still recording even. I was yeah. like, uh-oh. <laughs> oh, All right. Okay. Thanks for listening, everyone. Kamsamnida. Thank you for listening to Afternoon of Delight. Where can you find us outside the pod? Head on over to afternoonadelight.com. That's A-F-T-E-R-N-O-O-N-A-D-E-L-I-G-H-T dot com. You'll find links to all our social media, our book recs, K-pop and K-skincare recs, and if you want even more Afternoon of Delight, because really who doesn't, you can join our Patreon, where you can choose the patron level that's right for you. Join in daily K-drama conversations, listen to bonus podcast episodes just for patrons, and participate in our monthly live K-drama support group via Zoom. We can't wait for you to be a part of the community. Until next time, annyeong!